0: Welcome, and thank you for joining us on the City Point Church Sermon Podcast, where our desire is to help you follow Jesus. We are so glad that you are here, and wherever you are listening from, we believe that God has something in store for you through today's message. Find your Bible this morning. If you brought a copy, a physical copy, a digital copy, open it up, turn it on. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there should be one underneath Uh, a chair rack nearby, and so uh, go ahead and find that, and if you're using that particular copy underneath the chair, we will be on page 951. That will get you right to the book of James. James. We have been in this study, if you're just joining us, we have been in the study of James for probably about eight or nine weeks now, just journeying paragraph by paragraph Through this book, trusting the Spirit of God to work and speak through this word that he has superintended. And let me bring you up to speed a little bit on what's going on, again, if you are newer with us in this journey through this book. So, the book of James is written by a man by the name of James. He was the half brother of Jesus. He did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah during his earthly ministry. It was not until after Jesus was raised from the dead that James put his faith in his half brother Jesus as the true Messiah. And James quickly rose in prominence in the early church as the pastor at the church in Jerusalem. He was a spiritual leader in that very early church. And so he writes this letter that bears his name, and he's writing to a group of Christians. They're not necessarily all a part of the same church. As a matter of fact, they've been scattered. They've been spread abroad due to persecution. But he's writing this from a pastor's heart to a group of Jewish Christians who would have been brand new to the gospel. If you've been in church any length of time, if you've been a follower of Jesus, if you've been a student of the gospel and understanding the gospel and living in the gospel, it's something that maybe you have begun to wrap your arms around a little bit, wrap your mind around a little bit, you understand it, you're applying it. But for these Christians, the gospel was brand new for everybody. Nobody was a Christian before these folks were a Christian because Jesus had not yet been raised from the dead. So this is the first time that a group of people are identifying with God through a risen Messiah, through the gospel. And so Pastor James is trying to help them to understand not so much the why, but the what and the how. So we've called this gospel on the ground. Let's get some traction to the gospel what does it look like in our everyday life? Now, James has a very pastoral and really even a fatherly style in the way that he writes. So he's very much to the point. Growing up as a kid, if you ever had a family meeting and you know mom and dad call you into the living room... They just kind of get to the point because in the room, we're all family. There's a lot of things that are already understood about what's going on. So let's just get to the point. There's something we need to address. That's the style with which James writes. And I don't know that that's going to be any more clear than in today's paragraph. And so we get to our paragraph, James chapter 4. I, I've entitled this message Full Allegiance. Full Allegiance. Now this paragraph, it's a broader, it's a larger paragraph. We're going to break it up into two. So this week is the first half of the paragraph. You've got to come back next week for part two, the second half of the paragraph. But really this entire paragraph in chapter four is a call of repentance to come back to God. So I want you to see the first six verses is what we will read and study this morning. Follow along with me if you would as Pastor James instructs these Christians, and now through the Spirit as he instructs us today. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, or is it not from here, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And we'll stop there at the end of verse 6 for this morning. It's a strong passage. It's a strong paragraph. James is calling them back to a relationship with God that is one of exclusivity. So here's the big idea. It sits over top of this text. Committed followers of Jesus give him their full allegiance. Those who are committed followers of Jesus, they give God their all. You know, it's easy to spot a fanatic, isn't it? Somebody who's like all in for their sports team. They've got paint all over their face. They go to these sub-zero mid-winter football games with their shirts off and they got their colors all over their chest and they're cheering and they got things on their head and all kinds of stuff. I mean, it's easy to spot a sports fanatic. There's all kinds of fanatics. You can be a coffee fanatic, you can be a clothing fanatic, you can be a sports fanatic. There's one particular sneaker fanatic, P.J. Tucker, who plays in the NBA for the 76ers. P.J. Tucker is known... For being a fanatic of sneakers as a matter of fact he has so many sneakers that they did not fit in his closet that he had to extend his closet and build a loft for his sneakers and it is estimated I don't know if he actually counted but he has somewhere around 5,000 sneakers that's somewhat of a problem folks <laughs> he might need to go see like a counselor for that In one particular game that he played, he wore six different pair of shoes. He went to the 2021 NBA Finals and he showed up in a diamond-encrusted pair of Air Jordan 1s that cost $250,000. He literally had like a house on his feet. (laughs) That is quite an infatuation with sneakers. When I was a kid growing up, we had a word that we would use to describe fake fanatics. It was the word poser. And it always had a negative connotation to it. If you were called a poser, it was not a good thing. It meant that you were just kind of in it for the hype. You were in it because other people were, but you were not a true fan. You were not a true fanatic. You were a poser. Now, unfortunately, as a kid, I fell prey to this. Because there was a certain starter jacket that everybody started to wear in the 90s. And it was this signature jacket and you could get it for your sports team. And it was this pullover. It was like an insulated windbreaker. It had a hood on it. It had these cool like pockets in the front. had the starter logo on the sleeve. Everybody had these. And so I had to have one because everybody else did. Problem was these jackets were like a hundred bucks back then. That was a lot of money. So somehow, I'm not even sure, thinking back on this, how it actually happened, but somehow I found a starter jacket. It must have been on sale. It must have been on clearance. I don't know. But somehow I got my mom to buy me one of these starter jackets, and it was for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, here's the thing. I didn't even know what sport they played. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I didn't even know they were from Jacksonville. I knew there were Jaguars because there was a picture of a Jaguar on the front. The colors were kind of cool, but I had my starter jacket. What good is a jacket if you're not all in for the team? What good is the gospel if you're not all in for Jesus? Following Jesus is not for spiritual posers. Those who are in it for the hype, those who are in it because, well, everybody else is doing it or my friends are doing it, those who are in it, well, you know, it's just kind of the thing to do, it's amazing. Anytime some sports star or celebrity Starts, uh, finds a relationship with Jesus. It's like everybody wants to now find a relationship with Jesus because that guy's following Jesus, so it's like the cool in thing to do. But following Jesus is for those who are ready to commit in full allegiance to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus doesn't just want you hyped about him. He wants you committed to him. And so, some churches will preach a gospel that just saves you. Come as you are and leave as you came. But the gospel of the Bible is one that transforms you. Yes, come as you are with all of your rags and all of your brokenness and all of your inabilities and insufficiencies. Come with that to Jesus and be changed and transformed and then leave to walk a new life by the power of his spirit. That's the gospel. One that transforms us. This is why John said in 1 John 1.6, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. John is calling out spiritual posers. Fake fanatics of Jesus. You say you have fellowship, but your life is walking in darkness. And so because we believe in a gospel that truly transforms us, then committed followers of Jesus will be willing to give him their full allegiance. So here's the question we want to ask today. Why? Why must Jesus have my full allegiance? This text is going to answer that question. Three dynamic realities right from James chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. So here it is. Jesus must have my full allegiance because of, number one, the power of my internal desires. The power of my internal desires. Look at it in verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Now we can make some pretty strong assumptions what's going on here because... If you've been journeying through this book with us, there has been partiality towards those who were poor. There has been a problem with the tongue that has, has had the, the, uh, the poison of the tongue in the church. There has been the disunity caused by these things. There has been the selfish ambition. What's causing these quarrels and fights among you? And then he answers it, is it not this that your passions are at war within you? We have an internal conflict of interest Within us. Our passions are raging inside. And it's deceptive. It's subtle. Because it's on the inside. It's underneath the surface. Now the word that he uses here, passions, it means pleasures. It means desires. And every use of this word in the New Testament is negative. As a matter of fact, this is the word in the original language from which we get our English word hedonism. Where pleasure is God. Where if I want it, I should have it. If I desire it, I should go get it. If, if, if I think I need it, then I must need it. That's the type of internal pleasure and desire. And, and James literally says that there is a war raging inside of you because of your own selfish desires. This battle is fueled today by our modern Western society. You can't hardly watch a Disney movie without seeing this. Like, who do you want to be? Go be it. Don't let traditionalism stop you. And by the way, this idea of you do you and you be you, it's pretty attractive. It sounds pretty liberating until you realize that you have to look inside to figure out who you are and what's going on on the inside of you is this passion raging against your soul. So the gospel doesn't say you figure out you. The gospel doesn't say that you define you. The gospel says that Jesus now defines you. And the good news of the gospel is it's not just my, the bad stuff about me that defines me. And it's, it's not even the good things about me that define me. And it's certainly not the internal desires that I have to, that define me. It is now the finished work of Jesus. That's what defines me. So where does this all lead? What does it look like when this hedonism, when, when these pleasures just have full reign in the life of an individual... Paul says to Timothy, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. And then he says this, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They have succumbed to the war within them. Now they are defining them. They are looking internally to figure out who they want to be and desire to be, rather than yielding that to God in their lives. And so this description in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 4, we read that and we think, man, I've seen that. I see that in the world. I see that in the culture around us. But sometimes, folks, that happens in us too. When we start allowing the internal conflict to win. And the passions and the war that's taking place inside of us to take over. Well then James is going to get really specific here. And he's going to step on some toes here in verses 2 and 3. He's going to to explain to these early Christians how this manifests itself. Look at verse 2. He says, you desire and do not have, so you murder You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. There it is, again. So you're going inside, internally, to figure out who you want to be, and this is what starts taking place in the church at large. First he says, you don't have what you want, and so you murder. Whoa! Remember when Jesus taught on murder in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, you can kill someone physically and that's murder and you're going to receive judgment for that. But Jesus says, if you actually think, think hatred in your heart and in your mind towards somebody, you're going to receive the same judgment. In essence, the thoughts of our mind and the hatred of our hearts become the same as that physical murder. So were they running around physically murdering one another? I don't think this is indicating that necessarily. But they were murdering with their thoughts, with their anger, with their conceit, with their tongue, with their, with their, uh, with their behavior towards one another in, in the way that they were treating one another. All because they didn't have what they wanted. Then he says, you don't get what you want. First you don't have what you want. Then he says, you don't get what you want. You haven't obtained what you desire. And folks, you don't have to go any further than the nursery across the courtyard to see this. You get a two-year-old in there fully content with their toy, and then they look across the room at another two-year-old perfectly content with their toy, and now the first two-year-old is no longer content with their toy, and they have to have that toy, not because it's any better, but because that person has it. And then when they can't obtain it, and when they can't get it, they throw their two-year-old version of fighting and quarreling. You don't have what you want, you don't get what you want, then James says, You don't have because you don't ask. Again, do you recall the words of Jesus in Matthew 7 when he says, Ask and it will be given, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you? God is a very gracious and a benevolent God who desires to give. And he's saying, You're not have, You don't have the things. That you want because you're simply not asking. So on one hand, they're not asking. But then on the other hand, the fourth statement he makes is you are asking, but you're asking for the wrong reasons. Because you want it just simply to consume it on your own passions. Those desires that are at rage and at war within you. Jesus, again, in his Sermon on the Mount... Explained that the motivation should be, should be that God's kingdom would come and that God's will would be done, but here their motivation was to spend it on their own passions, to further perpetuate their own internal desires. So here's what we need to do we need to learn how to surrender the inside me, the me that's underneath the surface, the me that others don't necessarily see those desires and those passions that start internally before they manifest themselves externally. I read a news article this week about a sinkhole in Texas. And this sinkhole formed some 15 years ago. And then it stopped. It, it grew to about... 900 feet across and like 260 feet deep and it stopped and and the residents of that particular town they just sort of got used to this sinkhole being there as a matter of fact it filled up with water and the reporter in this particular article said that they were treating it recreationally they're fishing in this sinkhole and it's just kind of a part of the community well the news article from this past week is that last week it started to grow Several acres out of nowhere just starts to consume like buildings around the sinkhole are starting to fall down into this sinkhole. And now these people in this town in Texas are afraid to go to sleep at night. They don't know if like they're going to get swallowed up next. So for 15 years it just sort of sat there. not, Not posing much of a threat but then all of a sudden out of nowhere it starts to swallow up what's on the surface. The thing about sinkholes is that they lie underground. Out of sight. The problem is underground. And if it's left to itself, and if we just try to, even if we try to like support what's up on top and structure things in a way to maybe protect against that sinkhole, listen, folks, when that sinkhole grows, everything's going down into the mouth of that hole. And your internal desires and my internal desires are just like that sinkhole, they're underneath the surface. And if if we leave them unchecked or worse than that, if we just indulge in them and treat them almost recreationally like this is fun, this is good, this isn't hurting anybody, I want this so I'm going to do it. It's going to start swallowing up things on the surface. So we have to learn how to surrender the inside us, those internal desires. So what does that look like? How do I surrender the inside me? Three, Three things that you can do. To surrender the inside you. These internal desires. First, you've got to give God entrance. Give God entrance. Let him underneath the surface. There is no area of your life that should be off limits to him. Including those internal desires. Give God entrance. Then secondly, give God honesty. Give God honesty. Listen, he knows the desires that you have. He knows those passions that are raging inside of you. You keeping them from God doesn't make him not know what they are. And that honesty oftentimes is the hardest part of it, isn't it? Just being honest about the pride that lies underneath or the lust that lies underneath or the the greed that lies underneath or the covetousness or the narcissism that lies underneath and these tendencies that are underneath the surface that are creating this sinkhole. Give him honesty and talk to him about that. And then thirdly, give him time. Give God entrance, give God honesty, and give God time. You say, well, John, I prayed about it, and the desire didn't go away. Listen, that sinkhole has been forming for some time. Those desires have been raging for some time underneath the surface. Give God time to do a deep work in you, because Jesus does not have your full allegiance until he has the inside you. The you that's under the surface. Jesus must have full allegiance because of the power of my internal desires. Number two. Jesus must have my full allegiance because of the purpose of my spiritual fidelity. Because of the purpose of my spiritual fidelity. Look at the first phrase here in verse 4. It's strong. Hang on. He says... You adulterous people. Now, I don't know if you've ever done one of those like polar bear swims in the middle of the winter where you jump into the water and it's like sub zero and like it takes your breath away. I kind of feel that a little bit when James says this, like, whoa, what's going on here, James? Why such the strong language? It's a very serious issue that he's speaking to here. You see, he's using some of the strongest possible language. This is historical Jewish covenant language that he's using you adulterous people you see God established the covenant relationship with marriage it's a beautiful relationship it was God's idea not man's idea Genesis chapter 2 that a man would leave his father and mother and would cleave to his wife and the two would become one and that exclusive relationship bears the image of God's covenant relationship with his people And so even those who are unbelievers, who are in a marriage relationship, they bear the image of God's covenant relationship with his people through that marriage. And so by using this terminology, he's saying to his people that you have walked away from your relationship with me. As a matter of fact, when he says you adulterous people, that noun in the original language is feminine. He's saying, you adulteresses, because God's people are always the bride. And when the bride walks away from the groom, God, in that relationship, this rebuke is because they have been unfaithful in their spiritual relationship with God. Jeremiah three nineteen and 20 says, I thought you would call me my father and would not turn from following me. Surely as a treacherous wife leaves her husband, so have you been treacherous to me. O house of Israel, declares the Lord. You have broken your covenant exclusive spiritual relationship with me, God is saying. So spiritual adultery was their sin and the world was their lover. Keep reading in verse 4, the second half of verse 4, he says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity or hostility with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now understand... What's not going on here is that James is not saying that you should go out and be unfriendly to everybody that doesn't know Jesus. That's not what's going on. James is not saying that you can't enjoy the things of this life. He's not saying that you have to live like in tattered clothing and you can only drink like poor Folgers coffee or something like that. Like, he's, he's not speaking of just kind of living this life where you don't get very many things and you can't have anything of the world. That's not what's going on here. He is talking about buying into the ideology and the systems and the thinking of the culture and the world at large around us that is contrary to God, his word, and his gospel. When you take hook, line, and sinker, everything that you see and culture around us and say, well, it's just what everybody else thinks and what everybody else believes, that may not actually be gospel thinking, that may be worldly thinking, and James says that you've sided with the enemy you are joining the opposition he's also saying i believe that this can take place when you allow things into your life from the world that in and of themselves are not necessarily bad but they they become prominent and preeminent in your life and they take full allegiance rather than god do you not know that friendship with the world it's enmity, it's hostility with God. So not only have they been unfaithful in their covenant relationship, but they've also made an alliance with the enemy. So why is this spiritual adultery such a big deal to God? Well, verse 5 gives us the purpose, the reason. Look at it with me if you would. He says, or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the scripture says He yearns or he longs jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. Now, this is not a direct quote from scripture. Think of it as more of a compilation quote of scripture. And this particular verse, there's a little bit of debate around this. But I believe that context is king here. And what James is getting to is that God desires a relationship with his people. And he's jealous for that relationship. He longs for it. He yearns for that relationship. So, the purpose of my spiritual fidelity and faithfulness is because I belong to God. I belong to Him. He belongs to me. We are in this covenant relationship together. This is why I resist the pull of the world. This is why I want and desire to live a life of distinction. This is why I don't want to give in to those desires underneath the surface and be swallowed up by that sinkhole. This is why I am vigilant against the contamination of sin, because I belong to God. 1 Peter 2, I'll put it up on the screen here, reiterates this. Peter writes this and he says that you are a chosen Does not God have every right to be jealous for his bride? Listen, ladies, you, would, you desire this. If you're married, if you're dating, if you hope to be married, you would hope that that man in your life would have a healthy jealousy for you. Now, not the kind where he's always like checking every text message and always thinks that there's some other guy in your life, but the healthy kind that he desires you and he pursues you. And, and, and he wants to be with you. And so God is earnestly and jealously yearning for his people because we belong to him. We are his people. I don't know if you've ever had something stolen. It's kind of a violating feeling when somebody steals something from you. They come into your house. They open the car of your door. Or they just take something that was on your possession and they walk off with it. A couple of years ago I had purchased some equipment for the church and it was actually some costly stuff. It was sound equipment. We were still mobile back then and I purchased some stuff. It came in the day it came in. It was on my front porch so I moved it into my garage because I didn't want to leave it on my front porch. Well time got away from me. I wasn't paying attention. That night I left the garage door open. Sure enough the next day I come out into the garage. I see the garage doors open. And as soon as I saw the garage door open, I'm looking around and I'm thinking, it's gone. Couldn't find it. Several thousand dollars worth of equipment. Still in the box, like brand new. Went from my doorstep to my garage into the thief's car. My neighbor caught this thief on camera. And as I watched this footage, the feeling inside watching this man pass my house a couple of times at about 2.30 in the morning... Then come back and back into my driveway, open up his tailgate, go into my garage, take those items, put them in the back of his car, close the tailgate, and drive off. It's just violating that somebody would rob and steal from me something that is rightfully mine. You know, the world cannot steal you away from God, but you can choose to walk away. You can choose to walk back. And in some ways I would say that that's even more violating and that's even worse for the God who has purchased you with his blood and brought you into a covenant relationship that you would choose not to be stolen away but to actually walk away from that love and from that protection and from that relationship. Don't share Jesus' place with anyone or anything else in your life. He deserves that place on the throne of your heart. Enjoy your stuff. Enjoy your life. Enjoy the relationships God has given to you. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. The gospel is not asceticism. It doesn't mean that we just have to kind of live as monks and like never have anything nice in life. But make sure that those things that are nice in life don't take the position and the place that only God deserves. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, you are bought with a price. God owns you. You don't own you. God owns you. And so that is the purpose of our spiritual fidelity, that we belong to God for His glory. Jesus must have my full allegiance because of the power of my internal desires, because of the purpose of my spiritual fidelity, and thirdly this morning, because of the promise of His abundant Grace. Now, are you ready for some good news, like a, a refreshing cup of water here? That's verse 6 after we've walked through the heaviness of 1 through 5. Look at it with me if you would. Verse 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, this is a quote from Proverbs 3, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, verse 6 acts as a bridge verse between the first half of this paragraph and the second half, which We will study together next Sunday. But the promise of God's abundant grace is the how. It's how I live this life of full allegiance. I am not left to my own devices. I am not left to figure it out on my own. God gives to me the supernatural strength of his grace to live and to walk in faithful allegiance to him and to him alone. When it feels like it's too hard, when it feels like I can't do it, he gives me his grace. But he gives more grace over and abundant. With God's calling comes God's enabling. God will equip you for what he calls you to do. Last year our family went on vacation together. And we rented a house and it was right on a lake. And so I thought, I'm going to go rent a canoe. I'm going to go rent a boat for the boys to use, to be able to use on this lake. Because we we were going to be there for... A full week, so I went to the rental place and I rented this boat. But you know what else they gave me along with the boat? (laughs) They gave me the paddles. They gave me the life jackets. They gave me the rope to tie it off. They gave me the pump to inflate it. They gave me the instructions on how to use it. In other words, they didn't just say, here's this boat, good luck. They said, here's this boat and here's everything you need to operate this boat. And when God calls us to this life of Full allegiance and full commitment. He's not just saying, hey, go live a life of full allegiance. Now, good luck. Like, figure it out. No. He gives us his grace. This supernatural ability to do what we could not do in and of ourselves. And then if grace is how we live a life of full allegiance, humility is how we receive the grace. Second half of verse 6. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Pride resists the pursuit of the Spirit. Pride contributes to the quarreling and the fighting and the bickering that goes on between Christians. Pride also guarantees God's opposition. God opposes the proud. Now that makes sense, and here's why. Because pride is going to hurt you. And pride is going to hurt the relationships of the people around you. And pride is going to hurt your relationship with God so because God is jealous for you and loves you too much to let you hurt yourself and those around you in your relationship with him, he's going to resist you in that pride. He's not going to let you succeed in what is going to damage and hurt you. Humility, on the other hand, yields to the pursuit of the Spirit. Humility seeks unity when there has been disunity. And humility receives The grace of God. Humility is just my recognition that I need God's grace. I cannot, in and of myself, live this life of full allegiance to Jesus. I need His grace at work in me. So full allegiance is going to take grace and lots of it. Lots of it. Grace is God's power in me to do what I could not do in and of myself. Think of it like this. Grace is your superpower. Like Superman can fly and you've got grace it's your ability to do what you could not do in and of your own strength and it is very much supernatural it is very much the spirit of God and God's power at work in you enabling and empowering you to do this so if you're looking at this idea of like full allegiance sold out all in for Christ and you're thinking that sounds hard you're right But it's not impossible because God gives to you grace, and not just in small measure, but in abundant supply because he gives more grace to those of us who need it. Grace is given so that we can surrender those inside desires. Grace is given so that we can turn away from the attraction of the world. Grace is given so that we can yield our dreams that contradict his glory. Grace is given when we need to do the hard things that seem impossible. So Titus 2 says that the grace of God trains us, it teaches us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly in this present age. Yes, even in the world around us that is saying, go to the inside you and live according to the inside you. Grace teaches us how to deny that and to live a godly, Christ-centered life in the midst of that world. Full allegiance can be scary, folks. Like, what exactly is God going to ask of me? What is this going to require? How much? What am I going to have to stop doing? What am I going to have to start doing? What is, I mean, it, it can be a little intimidating. You need grace. But the other thing about full allegiance is it's full allegiance. Not partial not halfway. You can't test drive full allegiance. You can't just take it for a spin and be like, I don't know if I really like this. I'm going to give it back to the dealer. No, it's an all in, all or nothing, full and complete, sold out dedication to Christ. So you're going to need grace. Grace is how we do it. I was a teenager at the end of the last century. That just sounds weird, doesn't it? I'm a product of the 90s. The 90s was a good decade. We got some good stuff out of the 90s. We got AOL, dial-up, internet. We had the dominance of Blockbuster video. Okay? I mean, that was a thing. Like, just take the whole family to Blockbuster and walk around and pick on a movie. Like Forrest Gump. Amy loved Clueless. That's a product of the 90s. These were the things that were on the shelves in Blockbuster back in the day when they were still in business. You know, but the 90s also gave us some really good throwback Christian music. And in 1994, a song came out called I Pledge Allegiance to the Lamb. I had been singing that all week, folks. The second verse of that song says this, Now the years have come and the years have gone, but the cause of Jesus still goes on. Now our time has come to count the cost To reject this world, to embrace the cross. And one by one let us live our lives for the one who died to give us life. Till the trumpet sounds on that final day. Let us proudly stand and boldly say, I pledge allegiance to the Lamb with all my strength, with all I am. I will seek to honor His command. I pledge allegiance to the Lamb. Who's here today? that needs to pledge allegiance to Christ alone. Maybe you're a teenager this morning and the pull of the world has been strong. And the allure and the attraction of it looks good. But it's time to say to Jesus, I give you my full allegiance. Maybe you're a young adult and there's a relationship that you've been involved in and that relationship has actually taken prominence and preeminence in your life over Jesus And now your full allegiance is to that person rather than to your Savior. Maybe you're a young mom here and you've got those kids and you're just doing everything you can do to survive. You just want to make sure that they all get fed in the day. And you've lost sight of your purpose as a daughter of the king. And you think that your purpose is just to sort of make it through another day, but yet your purpose is far greater than that, to pledge allegiance to the Lamb. Maybe you've been rising in your career and the success of that career and the pull and the allure of the money and the success and the prominence and the recognition has gotten your sights off of the one who is your true Lord and Savior. Or maybe this morning, you're, you're an empty nester. You're retired. And you're thinking to yourself, finally, I can do with my life what I want to do. Could I submit to you, before you go off and do what you want to do, pledge allegiance to Christ. Go all in, not halfway, all in. God, I give to you my all. I pledge my allegiance to you in full allegiance. You are the one who has purchased me. I belong to you. I am rightfully yours. Allow him to do whatever he desires to do. Because here's that big idea committed followers of Jesus give him their full allegiance. Don't just wear the starter jacket. Don't just follow the hype. Don't just follow the crowd. Don't just do it because everybody else is doing it. Give full allegiance. Go all in for Christ. Judas followed Jesus for three and a half years. But he was a spiritual poser. I don't know what it was for Judas. I mean, he deceived the other 11. They trusted Judas so much that they let him manage the money. Something on the inside had never truly changed. He was in it for the hype. He was in it because Jesus was this rising religious leader and maybe there was some political advantage for Judas in it and he started to kind of go with the crowd and kind of go with the flow and he ended up on the inside. But he was never truly a follower of Christ in the sense of giving him his full allegiance. Today, wherever you might be, whatever internal desires might be waging war on the inside, whatever pull of the world might be around you, might I encourage you that God gives grace and more grace to strengthen you to live a life totally and completely dedicated to Christ. Well, We want to learn to live this morning. We do this every week because we don't just want to learn to learn. but We want to make applications. So let me give you three questions. That will help us to make application and I hope help the Spirit of God to make application in your life on this text. The first question is this, have you given your whole self to God? Have you in full and complete surrender given yourself to Jesus? Have you trusted him by faith, not just for today but for all of eternity for your whole self your whole life for all of your past and all of your sin and all of your wrong and all of your error have you given all of that to him by faith you can't pledge full allegiance to somebody who is not your savior is Jesus that for you and if you've been going through some motions, and maybe doing some religious things, but you've never actually trusted in the finished work of Jesus, even as these two testified today through their baptism, would you today put faith in Jesus? Don't put faith in me. Don't put faith in a church. Don't put faith in religion and tradition. Put faith in a Savior. Trust Him. Give your whole self to Him. My second question, if you have done that, follower of Jesus, where do you need grace to give Jesus full allegiance? I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not. But I am saying he's going to give you grace. I don't need to pull this apart and apply this. Let the Spirit of God apply this for you. Where has God spoken to you? Where in those internal desires? Where from the outside pull of the world? Where have you been giving into those things? And where do you need grace to give Jesus full allegiance? then number three how does full allegiance change how you live for Jesus this week you know it starts to happen when you give full allegiance to Christ people start to notice people can't help but notice that you talk different you live different your priorities are different your life is different you're pursuing different things and now all of a sudden there's opportunity to call others into a relationship with Christ. Now all of a sudden there's opportunity to share the good news that changed your life from the inside out. True followers of Jesus. We're not just here for the show. We're not just here for the hype. We are here to give Christ our full allegiance. Can we pray together? Father, we thank you. Thank you for this text. This text came with some additional weight to it some of it may be a little harder to swallow but yet concluding with your grace which is always the means by which we live out the life that you were calling us to And so Lord if there's somebody here today that's not a follower of Christ they've not gone all in for Jesus I pray that today they would put faith in you and in you alone and if there's somebody here today maybe they've been on the fence they, they, they know that they're a follower of Christ but they're kind of walking back towards the world or they're living according to their own desires and they've not given full allegiance to you there's an area of life where you don't sit on the throne of that area of their life god whatever you need to do today we submit we surrender to you you are passionately pursuing us you are relentlessly not letting us go and for that we thank you for that we praise you and for that we respond in worship through a life given in total dedication to you. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. To find out more about City Point Church, visit us online at citypointaz.com. You can also find us on social media at City Point AZ. Be sure to leave a review, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends. Now from us here at City Point Church, Go seeking to live on mission for the glory of God with this truth stamped over your life that you are loved.